Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, we're continuing part two of a sermon entitled The Day of the Lord, subtitle Peter's Words or Peter's View of the Return of Jesus. We got four verses today, and if you're part of our youth group and you're still in here, you know that it's hard for me to get through four verses in a little bit amount of time, so pray for me (laughs) that we can get through these four verses Let's read them. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's look at verse 10, the first phrase. But the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, will come as a thief in the night. Let me ask you this rhetorical question. Will Jesus' second coming be like a thief in the night to you? Think about it. Is it going to catch you by surprise? Y'all are good. (laughs) Let's look at some takeaways. I'm going to give you the good news first, the good takeaways. Then I'm going to prove it from the scripture, and then we're going to look at them again on this very point. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. On who? Here are the takeaways. The return of Jesus will catch unbelievers. Everyone say unbelievers. It will catch unbelievers completely off guard, unaware, like a thief robbing their home on a random night at a random hour. That's for the unbelievers. But, good news, the return of Jesus will not catch true believers by surprise. True believers will at least know the general season of his coming and that he is very near, even at the doors. He is near, by the way. (laughs) But catch this, guys. We're going to prove it from the Scripture, I hope, if you'll receive it. There's good biblical evidence that we, even in this church, might even know the 48-hour or two-day period Say it another way, which feast of trumpets Jesus will return on? Because in the scriptures, there is a specific timeline given in regards. 
specifically to the seminal end-time event of the abomination of desolation. We'll look at, that, look at that in a second. The abomination of desolation, the seminal end-time event. So, let me prove it from the Scripture. You can go forward a couple slides. 1 Thessalonians 5, two more. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly, do you know perfectly, that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Verse 3, for when they, or the unbelieving world leaders, say, peace and safety, everything's good. Guess what? It's not good. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. I'm pointing to Brooke. She's not pregnant, but she has been three times. <laughs> Fourth one soon. The Lord's timing. Sudden destruction as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they, the unbelieving world leaders, will not escape. Here it is. Here's the great news. Look at this verse. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness. So that this day, the return of Jesus, should overtake you as a thief. It's not. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. Everyone say, I'm a son of light. You can say daughter if you're a daughter. <laughs> I'm a son of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. This is how we're going to be at the return of Jesus, fully looking for it, fully expecting it, fully ready, rejoicing, dancing, singing, when all the nations will be mourning, all the unbelieving nations will be mourning. Next slide, Matthew 24, Luke 21, the preeminent end time scriptures from the mouth of Jesus himself. Matthew 24, to prove it more. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things taking place on the world news, know that it is near. What is near? The return of Jesus, even at the doors. You know when someone's at your door, you hear the knock. We're all going to hear that knock if we're listening. Verse 36, but of that day, that single day, and that single hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only knows that single day and that single hour. Verse 37, but, he says but, as the days, plural, of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So we cannot know the single day or the single hour, but I believe we can know the days, plural, maybe even two days. And I'm going to prove it more on the next slide. The abomination of desolation, the most important and impactful end times timing event. Everyone say timing event. This is a timing indicator that will be all over world news. 
We will not be able to miss this. What is the abomination of desolation? Well, in order for it to occur, there must be a rebuilt third temple in Jerusalem to the God of Israel. It must be functioning in Jerusalem with daily animal sacrifices taking place. Guess what? That hasn't happened yet. So we're at least seven plus years away. For sure, three and a half years, probably seven plus years. And we, I'm not saying I know that it's within, could be a hundred years, could be a thousand. But this must be rebuilt, the third temple. So what is the actual event of the abomination of desolation? The actual event is when the Antichrist, the man of sin, he himself will walk into this rebuilt temple and he will take away the sacrifices. He's going to take away the animal sacrifices to the God of Israel. He will stand in the most holy place in the rebuilt temple of Jerusalem where God himself is sitting on the Ark of the Covenant. He's going to stand in that place in the most prideful act in all of human history. He's going to stand there and declare that he himself is God. And he's going to demand the entire world to bow down and worship him at the penalty of death. This is the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist walks in the rebuilt temple and says, I'm God. I was playing all along. He rips off his mask. He wasn't a man of peace. He's a man of war. And if you don't bow down and worship him, he will kill you. Does that make sense? Y'all get the abomination of desolation? We're not going to be able to miss it if we're paying attention to the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and world news. If we're watching and praying, we will not miss this. Here's the good news. This is really bad news, by the way, but here's the good news on the other side of it. Go to the next slide. Jesus. You know, Jesus only told us to look at one Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. He only told us to look back at one Old Testament prophet. You know who that was? Daniel. So it must be really important if it's the only Old Testament prophet he told us to go back and look at. This is what he said, verse 15 of Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see, or when you hear and see, of the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, saying, I'm God, bow down and worship me. When you see this, and he says, whoever reads this, let him understand. So to honor the words of Jesus, I want to make sure everyone understood. You were listening to the abomination of desolation. You get it, at least somewhat. Just raise your hand if you understand what I just explained to us all. If you're watching online, raise your hand. Okay, good. We're obeying Jesus right here. Whoever reads, let him understand. Let's go to Daniel 12. Daniel sees all these end times events, sees these open visions. He's kind of freaking out. He says, to the angel, the mighty angel, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? AKA, how long until the return of Messiah and the resurrection of the dead? How long? Give me a timeline is what he's asking for. Give me a timeline. Then he heard, and I want us to hear this morning, then he heard the man clothed in linen when he held up his right hand to heaven and swore by, and his left hand to heaven, both hands he's lifting up to heaven, he swore by him who lives forever and ever. Whenever a mighty angel swears to heaven, let's listen. <laughs> Y'all see this? 
both hands up to heaven, swearing by the God of Israel. This is strong. He says that it shall only be, here's the timeline, for a time, times, and half a time. What does that mean? That's cryptic, Old Testament prophetic language for three and a half years. Everyone say three and a half years. Time is one year. Times is two years. Half a time is half a year. One plus two plus a half is three and a half years. And then to make it really clear, he goes on to say, all these things will be finished in three and a half years from the moment of the abomination of desolation. Three and a half years later, Jesus is coming back. So get ready and bring in the end time harvest during those last three and a half years. You got nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose during those three and a half years. (laughs) All these things shall be finished. Verse 11, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away by the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation is set up, from that very time, there shall be 1,290 days. You can't get any more specific. That's three and a half years, by the way. You can't get any more specific than that. We're so going to know. You might be saying, well, that's an exact day. I thought we're not supposed to know the day or the hour. Well, I believe there'll be enough mystery around the abomination of desolation. Like we weren't sure, was it Saturday or Sunday or overnight? When exactly to do it? We just know that he did it on like that weekend. Then we add these days or add three and a half years and bam, we're going to be right at the feast of trumpets. Why do I say that? Let's look at the next slide. You see, God does not want us in the dark. He wants us in the light. We're sons of light. It's not a mystery. (laughs) Yes, it's mysterious, but when you look at it, the fog lifts. Amen? Y'all heard this. Jesus is coming back when? At the last trumpet. Not the last Donald Trump. We love Donald Trump, but not that last trumpet. (laughs) First Corinthians, it says it three times in scripture that he's coming back at the last trumpet. Okay, let's go down to the Feast of Trumpets, the Jewish tradition right here, the bottom paragraph. The Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, Hebrew for head of the year or Jewish New Year, commemorates the Jewish New Year. It is the first of the fall feasts each year. This is where it gets really interesting. Every year, it's a two-day holiday or a 48-hour holiday. Why? Because in Jewish tradition, the high priest has to actually go outside in Jerusalem, look up in the sky, and see with his own eyes the new moon, the moment that happens. With his eyes, he has to visually inspect the new moon in order to blow the trumpet, Feast of Trumpets, to say, it's the new year. Why do they give this 48-hour margin of error? Well, sometimes there's cloudy days in October and September in Jerusalem, so he can't actually see it with his eyes. So they give a 48-hour margin of error for the high priest to see the new moon with his own eyes. Because of this, this is where it gets so cool. You know, Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. Guess what? That is a Jewish idiom to refer to the Feast of Trumpets holiday. Because of the 48-hour period. No man knows the day or the hour that the high priest is going to see the new moon and blow the trumpet. So he was pointing to this holiday. And then there's three other scriptures saying the last trumpet or the last feast of trumpets is when Jesus comes back, the seventh one in the book of Revelation. Does that make sense? So we're going to know when this holiday is. 
Three and a half years from the abomination of desolation. Guess what? We're going to be ready. <laughs> We're going to be so ready. It's so happy. <laughs> it's going to be hell on earth during those three and a half years, by the way. But it'll be heaven in heaven. We're going to be feeling God like never before and watching him back up our act like never before. The great and terrible three and a half years. All right, so here's the takeaways again. Was that fun? Did y'all like tracking with me there? Takeaways again, they'll be up on the screen. <laughs> the return of Jesus will catch unbelievers completely off guard, like a thief robbing their home on a random night at a random hour. The return of Jesus, you can go to that next slide so people can take pictures if they need to. The return of Jesus will not catch true believers by surprise. True believers will at least know the general season of his coming, that he is very near at the doors. And we've just seen the good biblical evidence that we might even know the 48-hour period, which Feast of Trumpets he's going to return on. What's that? Yeah, that's the first half, actually, of the first verse that we're looking at today. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to the next phrase in Second Peter 3, verse 10. All right, the day of the Lord will come as a thief of the night. We covered that, praise God. In which, the day of the Lord, the heavens will pass away with fervent heat and with a great noise, like the biggest atomic bomb that has ever gone off. That's what's going to happen to the heavens. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So let me ask you this. Why is there so much fire at the return of Jesus? Why so much fire? Why so much heat? Why so much blaze? Purification? Amen. Transformation. There's a hundred good answers to this question, but the simplest one is Hebrews 12. You know who our God is? He is a consuming fire. So if God comes back, consuming fire comes back. God is fire, so when God comes back, fire comes back. But it's not just one manifestation of fire. Let me prove to you it's three manifestations or expressions of unique fire from heaven. Look at this, Matthew 16. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will come. He's full of fire. But not just he's not just coming, just Jesus. He's coming with the glory or the fire of his Father. So he's coming with the full expression of the fire of his father as well. So there's two. But not only that, billions of angels are coming back with him. Guess what Hebrews describes angels as? Flames of fire. Are not his angels ministers? Flames of fire. Billions of flames of fire. Jesus full of fire. The father full of fire. That's a lot of fire. And that's why Peter sees and says that the heavens will pass away with fervent heat. What is the heavens? Well, guess what? It's both natural and spiritual heavens. The natural heavenly realm, this is trillions. I'm going to say trillions. Trillions of celestial bodies, galaxies, stars, planets, even Pluto. I still regard you as a planet, Pluto. <laughs> Guess what? 
all of them are getting burned up, incinerated. No more. No more. Trillions of celestial bodies completely burned up. That's how big our God is. We worship a big, fiery God. But it's also the spiritual heavenly realm. It's the heavens, plural. And this is billions, billions of demonic angels will be burned up, sent to the lake of fire. You know those ones that fill you with fear, that make you sick, that torment you? They're all getting burned up. Their day is coming. And guess what? We have the authority now, any demons that mess with people, to burn them up now, or at least send them to dry places. Say, get away from the people of God. And I'm just going to do it right now. Any demonic spirit, any unclean spirit, in the name of Jesus, go to dry places. Leave the people of God right now. Leave. The blood of Jesus is burning you up right now. Thank you, Lord. When I was in a really bad place about 11 years ago, maybe more, my dad cast demons out of me, and I smelled with my nostrils burning. And it wasn't like someone was lighting a fire. I smelled their end. I was like, Dad, I smell burning. Do you remember that? La Hacienda Rehab Center? <laughs> and that little, <laughs> that was on Christmas Day. I spent Christmas in rehab in 2012. <laughs> but I got free that day. <laughs> My dad had the authority through Jesus' name and through faith to send those demons to a dry place, to a burning place. And I'm a grateful recipient. <laughs> Thank you. That's coming for all. Thank you, Lord. All right. Next phrase. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth, this ground, and the works that are in it will be burned up. So what does this mean? This is not the heavens. This is the earth, terrestrial ground. The elements of the earth, this is every natural part of creation. Every natural part of the earth will be burned up. All these nice trucks and vehicles out here, we'll talk about that in a second. All 118 elements on the periodic table will be burned up. You can go to the next slide. All 118 elements on the periodic table, no more. Rocks are going to be burned up. Mountains, hills, trees, grass, water, Everything you see, beautiful Colorado, going to be completely burned up. Beautiful Austin, it's all going to be burned up. But it's also the works that are in it. What does this mean? This is everything, not natural, it's everything that man's hands have made. Everything these hands may make, this is homes will be burned up, buildings will be burned up, cars city infrastructure, these beautiful multi-billion dollar sports stadiums that are going to be burned up, all idols that man's hands have made. I put sports stadiums and idols right next to each other on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> They're all going to be burned up. 
the works that are in it. This is also symbolic for every deed, every act that every man has ever done. Every deed, every act. These are the works that are going to be burned up. Corinthians, good and bad works will be tested by fire. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13, each one's work, everything you've ever done, will become clear. Whether it was done motivated by the Holy Spirit and his love or motivated by you or some other spirit, it will all be revealed by fire. Look at that. For the day will declare everyone's work. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, that's gold, silver, precious stones, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, that's wood, hay, stubble, wood, hay, straw, he will suffer loss. All those things you spend a lot of energy and time on, you will suffer loss. They won't carry over in the age to come. But, Here's good news. You yourself will still be saved. Your soul is going to be saved. You just might not have a lot of rewards with you. Yet so as through fire. Guys, even if I do less stuff, but my stuff is quality, I want it to carry over. This is a prayer. Is Lord, show me. Holy, I can't show you. I can't even show myself what's gold, silver, or precious stones. But that's all I want to do. I don't want to waste my time on wood, hay, or stubble. I want everything to carry over. Amen? All right. Let's go to the next slide. Next verse, verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, beautiful downtown Austin, it's all going to be dissolved, and the heavens above it. What? manner of persons ought you to be? What kind of people should we be since everything is going to be burned up? In holy conduct and godliness. This is the type of people we should be. Holy conduct and godliness. What is holy conduct? Really simple. I love simple. It's godly actions. Actions inspired by the love of God. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Gold, silver, precious stones. This is holy conduct. And what is godliness? It's godly attitudes. It's what's on the inside. Godly character. You look like Jesus. That's godliness. It literally means you look like God. I want my life to look like Jesus. And I want my actions to look like what Jesus would do. What would Jesus do? That's holy conduct. Who Jesus is, that's godliness. Godly actions and godly attitudes is how we should live since everything's going to be burned up. (laughs) Peter's pretty straightforward. This is in layman's terms, really simple, summary, concise statement of verse 11. It's what Peter's saying. Since everything's going to be burned up anyway, let's act like Jesus 24-7. Let's think like Jesus 24-7. And let's just be like Jesus with his own character 24-7. Since everything's going to be burned up anyway, let's act like Jesus, think like Jesus, be like Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. 
verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for with your eyes and the eyes of your heart and hastening the coming of the day of God. You can go to the next slide. What does looking for mean? Looking for. Here's my definition. Looking for the coming of the day of God or looking for the second coming of Jesus. This is to eagerly anticipate, to wait with hopeful expectation. Like a kid on Christmas Eve who still believes Santa's real, looking, waiting for Santa to come with presents. You know, we, I could go on a pedestal against Santa, but I'm actually going to redeem Santa. It teaches kids, we're not going to teach our kids this, but the ones that have actually believed it, it teaches them to wait in expectation for someone coming in the night with presents and gifts and rewards and goodness. So we can redeem Santa. We really can. Yeah, look at that kid. He's waiting with hopeful expectation. He's waiting. The first thing, he gets up in the morning, eagerly anticipating good things coming, desiring it greatly. We should have that same attitude at 70 years of age, looking out the window, waiting for Jesus to come back. <laughs> we should be eager beavers for the return of Jesus. This is what it means. Like a kid on Christmas Eve. We can all understand that, right? That's what looking for means. The coming of the day of God. Now, what does the next phrase, we can go two more slides. What does the next phrase mean? Next one. We'll do the next slide. Hastening. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What does hastening mean? Hurry. Y'all can blurt out answers without looking at the screen. Or you can look at the screen too. Shortening the time. Hastening. Olivia, you can hasten the return of Jesus. What does this mean? Well, if we take it literally, <laughs> it means we can expedite it. Expedited shipping of the Son of Man from heaven. <laughs> We can expedite the second coming of Jesus with our life choices and our attitudes. With our attitudes and actions, we can expedite, missionary, you can expedite the return of Jesus. We can make it happen sooner. What? You can make the second coming of Jesus happen sooner with your little life? What? We can move forward. I'm going to say move forward. MoveOn.org, you don't have to say that. Move forward on the divine calendar. There is a divine calendar that waits for our actions and our prayers and our attitudes. Move forward on the divine calendar, the actual date or the actual Feast of Trumpets, the year of Jesus' return. This is hard to receive at face value, that we could do this to the heart and calendar of God. We have this kind of impact on the divine calendar? It's true. And how in the world is it true? How is it possible? This is what the Lord showed me. Because it's the nature of God all throughout Scripture. Look at this Scripture. 
draw near to God, this is our choice, and he will draw near to you. Picture the return of Jesus in this verse. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to planet earth. That's in James, that's the scripture. Jesus, here's the nature of God. Jesus responds to invitation. You know why there was a corporate presence here this morning? Because we wanted him. We invited him with our words and our worship and our songs. That wasn't trivial. That wasn't trite. That was real. Jesus responds to invitation. He waits to be welcomed. Jesus waits to be welcomed. He doesn't force himself on anyone who doesn't want him. And he's not going to force himself on planet earth who doesn't want him. So here's really the indictment on why he's not back yet. We haven't wanted him enough. (laughs) We've wanted a hundred other things from him, but not actually him enough. It's an indictment that Jesus is not sitting on the throne of Jerusalem right now. It really is. Because if we wanted him corporately, as believers worldwide, he would come. If every believer worldwide, two billion believers, all said, come back, Jesus, he would come back. If we want him, he will come. We will get what we want in this life. If we want Jesus to return, if we live our life with this Maranatha cry, he's going to come back sooner. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture, the spirit and the bride say, come back, Jesus. (laughs) Our friend showed me this, Josh McDonald. Let's go to the next slide. You know what the prayer list of the end times church is going to be? It's going to have one thing on it. This is the prayer list. This is the prayer meeting on Tuesdays for the end time church. (laughs) According to Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, give me a promotion in, in my job. Give me a promotion in ministry. Let me have a bigger impact. No, they say, come back, Jesus. That's the end time prayer of the end time church. One thing on it, Maranatha, which is Aramaic for come home, Jesus. Come back for us. Marry us. Let us be one with you on the earth. Is this number one on your prayer list? I hope by the end of this message that it will be for all of us. We can still pray for a lot of other things because we're not in that immediate season yet. But let this be number one. It'll inform everything else. It'll help you with purity. It'll help you with holy conduct. It'll help you to love everyone. It'll help you to be sacrificial, to lay down your life. If this is what you're praying for first, it'll help so many other things. This is seek first the king and his kingdom. And all these things will be added unto you. You know the first part of kingdom is king? Seek first the king and invite him to come back and his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. This is wisdom to have this number one on our prayer list. Let's look at five quick ways and we're almost done to hasten the return of Jesus or the day of the Lord. Worship team, you can come on up. Years ago, I was at this missionary place, and this one young adult was asking me, like, Kyle, we we see your passion for the Lord. We we see your heart. We see your activity. Like, what what do you want to do, like, for the Lord? Like, what is your purpose? We want to hear what you think your purpose is. 
They're thinking all this big impact, whatever they're thinking. I was like, Lord, what is my purpose? And he spoke so clearly. It's to hasten the second coming of Jesus. So I told them, every day I wake up, I want my prayers, my actions, my words to make Jesus come home sooner. I want him to come back to Jerusalem, and I want my life to expedite that process. Even if it's just a year sooner, that'll be so worth an entire life given to that purpose. So that's, when you see your pastor, one of your pastors up here, that's my life purpose. To help expedite Jesus coming back. Because when he comes back, everything's solved. <laughs> everything's solved. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more loved ones dying. No more disappointment. Only an appointment with God forever. That's something to live for, young people. Let every day your actions bring the second coming of Jesus closer to planet Earth. Does that make sense? Again, it'll help you with a hundred other things. Here's five ways to hasten the day of the Lord. It's a little warm in here. Maybe it's, I'm just preaching. <laughs> First, we looked at it. Look for it. Be like the kid on Christmas Eve. Every day, pray for it first. Eagerly anticipate it. Wait with hopeful expectation. Desire it greatly. Second, cooperate with the Holy Spirit to purify yourself, to become a suitable, equally yoked partner to Jesus. Just like a bride gets ready for her wedding day, she's looking at every detail of that dress, every detail of her makeup, Every detail of every aspect of that wedding day, she's getting ready for, right? You don't treat that as a cavalier little thing. You do everything to prepare as a bride for that day. Same with us for the return of Jesus. That we could be without spot, without wrinkle before him. That he could purify our hearts to such an extent that our heart would look exactly like his in heaven. That's where it's going, guys. Number three, if you're a missionary in the room, I know I met one before, I just want to invite you to stand up. Specifically a missionary, or you feel, maybe you're a young person, you feel called to unreached people groups. There, yeah, you definitely are. You feel called to unreached people groups, maybe at some point. Go ahead and stand up. To hasten the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, we need to pray for the unreached people groups. We need to send people, like these people standing up, like talk to them how you can send them. <laughs> we didn't plan this. Talk to them how you can send them to the unreached people groups. And then if you yourself feel that tug, go yourself. Trust that God's going to back you up. He will so back you up. You know why? Because the words of Jesus, there are 3 billion people that are unreached right now. That was a lot more than I thought when I researched this. 7,000 plus unreached people groups. That's a lot that have never heard about our beautiful Jesus. This is what Jesus said. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, all the people groups, all the ethnos, and then I'm going to come back. <laughs> then the end will come. 
See, we're tying it together with ways to hasten the day of the Lord. Fourth, y'all can sit down. Fourth, pray, send, and go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Jewish unbelievers, there's about 14 million of them worldwide right now. Why is this? Jesus said, for I say to you, Jewish people in Jerusalem, you will not see me again. Other words, I'm not coming back to planet earth until you say, Jewish people in Jerusalem, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Till you Jewish people welcome me home, I'm not coming home. So pray for the Jewish people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Fifth, everyone stand to your feet right now. Fifth, love not your life to the death. Do not cling and hold on to your life to where you may be in a place to deny Jesus one day because you love your one little precious life so much. Love not your life to the death. Settle it now. Be willing now. Be willing right now. Make a decision that you could be willing or the Holy Spirit could make you willing right now to be martyred, like literally give up your one life to die for the name of Jesus. Why? Because there is a full number in God's heart that must die for the name of Jesus before he comes back. We don't know that number, but there is a full number. That's in the Bible. And the martyrs were told to rest a little longer until the full number, everyone say full number. The full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. By the whole pleaded, be willing. And if you're not willing now, be willing to be made willing by the Holy Spirit to lay down your life for the Lord, because that will bring him back sooner. It really will. Lastly, last verse, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for, not just the return of Jesus, you can go to the next slide, not just the return of Jesus do we look for, but we look for the new heavens, everyone say new, new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. What does this mean? To look for the new heavens and the new earth? It means to eagerly anticipate, not the return of Jesus, but the new Jerusalem to study out the facets of the new Jerusalem, the restored Garden of Eden. This is looking for what happens after the return of Jesus or as a result of. Look for the new Jerusalem. Study it out. It also means when you're looking for the new heavens and the new earth is to live this life with a pilgrim passing through mindset. This is not our permanent home. Who, who knows this world is jacked up? It is a messed up world. If you felt any physical pain or any fear this morning, you know it's a jacked up world. This is not our permanent home. We weren't made to make this our permanent perfect home. No, we weren't. So it's to live this life with a pilgrim passing through mindset, attitude. This is to allow, everyone open up your hands right now. Allow the Holy Spirit to wean you off the temporal things of this life. To wean you off the temporal and fasten your heart to the eternal realities, the things that truly last forever. Allow him to fasten your heart to the heavenly city of righteousness that is perfect, truly perfect. 
Last slide here. Who wants to be in the hall of faith when Jesus comes back? The hall of fame of faith. I do. Don't repent for your desire for greatness. God put that in you. He wants you to want to be great. Don't ever repent for that, for godly ambition. Do not ever repent for godly ambition. It is so holy, he put it there. Look at this, Hebrews 11, hall of faith. These heroes all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off prophetically, were assured of them. They embraced the promises. They embraced the new Jerusalem and confessed out of their mouth that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. This place was not their homeland. For those who say such things, like us, those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that earthly country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return there in the natural. But no, now, now, River in the Hills, they desire a better, I would say better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's a proud father in heaven, for he has prepared a city for them. I want to close your eyes. I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to influence your imagination. I want you to see the perfection of the new Jerusalem or ask the Holy Spirit to let you see it because all the heroes of the faith saw it somehow prophetically. They saw the new Jerusalem. They said, I'm living for that. Even if I don't see it in this life, I'm living for that. Therefore, God was a proud papa. He's a proud dad that you're envisioning the age to come and not trying to make this place your perfect permanent home. No. You can open up your eyes. Here's the response. If you want to be in the hall of faith and you want to make God proud to call you his own son and daughter, first, embrace the biblical promises of the heavenly country, the eternal city. And I want to help you embrace heaven right now. I have resources up here, up here on these subwoofers, Right here, subwoofer right here, subwoofer over there. If you want to embrace the biblical promises of the heavenly country, the eternal city, the new Jerusalem, I want to invite you up to come grab a resource right here. These are verses all about heaven. Verses about heaven and the age to come. If you want to do step one and be in the hall of faith, if you want to be great in God's eyes, come grab a resource and meditate, it on, meditate on it throughout the next couple weeks. Second, as you're doing this, let's confess. That means to speak out of your mouth, to say the same as that you're a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. Confess a pilgrim attitude. And stop trying, this is your pastor speaking to you, stop trying to make this current age your perfect permanent homeland. It never will be, by the way, until Jesus comes back. This is going to bode well for us if we take on this pilgrim mindset. So everyone just repeat after me if you want to make this confession like the Hall of Faith people made the confession. Say, in Jesus' name, I'm a stranger on this earth. I'm a pilgrim passing through. I'm a citizen of heaven. Not of America primarily. I want to live 
for the new Jerusalem, the city of perfect righteousness. In Jesus' name. And then last point, before my dad shares or they sing, altar prayer teams, I want to invite you up right now. Altar prayer teams, come up for any need you may have. Or if you just want to get prayer for what you just heard to live it out, I need prayer to live this out. I really do. I need so much prayer to live out the message I just gave you. (laughs) Third point, to be in the hall of faith, be faithful over the little that God has entrusted to you in this life. Even the person with the biggest impact in the room, that's little compared to what's coming. If you're faithful over little, God will entrust you with much in the age to come primarily. When he comes back, we're going to see really how much that much meant. So just be faithful over the little, the kids God has given you, the marriage he's given you, the home he's given you, the apartment, the car. Clean your car. Be faithful over the little God has given you. No, he showed me that. If you can't keep your car clean, how could you disciple nations? (laughs) That's what he showed me. Be faithful over the little that God has entrusted to you, and he will make you ruler over much in the age to come. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.